Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to the Daily Sun Up with the Colorado Sun. It's Thursday, November 16th. Today, Sun reporter John Ingold explains how artificial intelligence is being used in healthcare. Before we begin, we'd like to thank our sponsor, the Colorado Department of Healthcare Policy and Financing. HCPF is raising awareness of the invaluable roles of direct care workers and the direct care workforce in Colorado. Direct care workers play a crucial role in enhancing the lives of individuals requiring assistance due to disability, age, or illness. Learn more about the impact of these workers and how to become one by visiting hcpf.colorado.gov slash direct-care-spotlight. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. On this day in 1900, John Porter Jr. was lynched by a mob in Lincoln County. The incident followed the tragic murder of 12-year-old Louise Frost. Porter, an African-American teenager, was coerced into confessing and subsequently seized and burned alive by a mob. This brutal act underscored a period of high vigilante violence in Colorado, often supported by local press and authorities. The lynching drew national condemnation and reflected the state's struggle with frontier-era justice. The reinstatement of capital punishment in 1901 led to a decrease in mob action, but this episode marked a grim chapter in Colorado's history. Before we continue, another quick message. On December 5th, First Bank and Colorado Gives Foundation are proud to present Colorado Gives Day, a one-day online fundraiser for local nonprofits. Since 2010, people just like you have raised $415 million, and over $53 million was donated last year alone. To elevate giving, First Bank and other sponsors have contributed more than $1 million to amplify every donation made, which makes Colorado Gives Day easily the best day to give. So let's start a wave of generosity. Donate at coloradogivesday.org. First Bank. Banking for good. Member FDIC. Next, our feature story. Well, hi, everyone. Happy Thursday, and welcome to another edition of our Daily Sun Up podcast. I'm John Engold. I'm the healthcare reporter here at the Colorado Sun. And those of you who are regular Sun Up listeners will know that Thursdays are the days when I'm usually joined by my colleague Michael Booth, who covers climate and the environment. But today I wanted to share something a little bit different. I have recently been doing some reporting on the emerging uses of AI. That's, of course, artificial intelligence and how it can be applied in healthcare. And this was also the topic of a panel I led earlier this year during our SunFest Ideas Festival back in September. Now, I don't think I can really overstate this, but AI is truly poised to revolutionize healthcare, both how you receive it and also how your doctor and nurse provides it. It could change how your doctor interacts with you, how you communicate, how you share information, how your doctor makes decisions. And of course, there are a lot of questions here as well. For instance, how can you know that these AI tools are using good information or providing correct answers? How can you know that they're not acting with some kind of built-in bias? This is especially a concern when it comes to people of color or people from other disadvantaged populations. For these folks, the medical system already kind of has a bias, and you don't want that bias now to move over into these new uh, technology tools. And lastly, you have the question of how can we make sure these tools are used to benefit patients and not used just to boost a hospital's or a health insurer's bottom line at the expense of patient care. So there's plenty to talk about and plenty for me to be reporting on here, but I wanted to, just for the moment, to zoom in on one particular use, which is already happening here in Colorado. It has to do with a condition called sepsis. 
Uh, sepsis is an infection. It's often acquired in a hospital, and it can really be kind of sneakily deadly. As a health reporter, I've many times over the years received emails from people who lost a loved one to sepsis and were hoping that I could give a little bit more attention to uh, to the issue because they felt like folks didn't know enough about it, that it wasn't sort of high profile enough. But the numbers are staggering. It's it's hard to kind of track how many people are really dying of sepsis because, you know, death can be caused by a lot of things. But the CDC, the CDC estimates that there are 350,000 people each year with sepsis who die in the hospital or who are discharged from the hospital to hospice care. So do the math. That's 40 people for every hour of every day across the country. That's a huge, huge toll. And the challenge with sepsis especially is that once you are stone cold certain that someone has it, there's only a 50-50 chance to save their life. So early detection becomes really, really important. But early detection is really complicated because the early signs of sepsis are especially nonspecific. There are things like fever, shortness of breath, elevated heart rate. So this makes ultimately sepsis becomes a really appealing target to potentially apply the computational power of an AI model to, you know, kind of let's use this new technology to spot these hidden signs and these general symptoms and figure out if this is something we need to worry about. And this is what UC Health, which is the state's largest hospital system, tried to do. So from our SunFest panel, here is Dr. C.T. Lin, who is UC Health's chief medical information officer, uh, explaining this. And so one of our ideas was, can we use years of our data and assemble it and use the learning models, machine learning, to come up with predictions. Um, and so yes, we did. We did that. And also our, Ep our electronic health record vendor, Epic, also built one. So we actually put several models together and put it in front of the clinicians. And like the movie says, if you build it, they will come, right? Right? So, um, so we put these models and then we color coded them for the highest risk and we put them in front of the clinicians so in their list of patients that they see on every floor or as they're walking around by specialty, you see the bright red ones and, and we expected to be able to detect sepsis earlier. Well, um, um, as my daughter would say, don't hurt your elbow patting yourself on the back so hard, Dad. Um, and and what, as we turned out in a three-month pilot test, um, no change in sepsis cases or time to antibiotics or time to IV fluids or the first intervention to try to save patients who are developing blood infections. This was, as you can imagine, hugely disappointing, but it wasn't exactly unexpected. In fact, hospitals across the country were and, and still are trying to use AI to detect sepsis earlier, and they haven't always had much luck. The studies trying to verify whether this works haven't always proven that, that there's something here. But Dr. Lin and his colleagues decided they weren't going to give up. Instead, they talked with the frontline nurses and doctors to try to figure out what went wrong. And as we de debriefed the nurses and physicians, as we showed them the scores, they go, well, you know, we're 100% busy taking care of patients who are sick right now. It's hard to think about 12 hours from now, someone might get sick. And by the way, your signal to noise is terrible. For every red alert you send us, um, for example, on a particular nurse unit of 60 patients, um, we'll get about, or of 30 patients, we'll get about 60 red alerts a day, of which one or two are real deteriorations. Because it's trying to be sensitive. It's trying to go, this one might be one, this one might be one. So it's not very specific. It doesn't 
help you cone in on the one or two that you need to worry about because we wanted to make sure we didn't miss any. And so the difficulty is that it's too much noise. This turns out to be the key here. It's not the technology, it's the people. You need to apply some human intelligence to build a structure that gets the most out of your artificial intelligence. So UC Health decided to change where it sends its sepsis alerts. Instead of firing them off to the doctors or nurses at the bedside, they now send them to a place they call their virtual health center. This is where uh, teams of doctors and nurses sit before big banks of monitors, right? Six monitors each, two tall, three wide, and they remotely track the vital signs of patients across the system's hospitals. They can even sort of beam in with a camera if they want to take a, a closer look. This ultimately is kind of an eye in the sky kind of safety net that the health system uses to monitor all its patients. And here's Lynn explaining the thought process behind sending the sepsis alerts here. Because you have no other distractions, you're not running around from patient to patient trying to figure out how to save them right now. All your job is is to watch everybody. And we have 1,800 beds in 12 hospitals. And this team of nurses and physicians, that's all they do. So we applied their skill to this. And it turns out when you have a consistent team who can actually be on the spot with these predictive alerts, they sort through the noise. Lynn says this model is now working really, really well. UC Health estimates that they are saving 375 lives per year compared to their baseline due to better early tracking of sepsis. They also have another AI model that they've implemented that predicts the potential for sort of more generalized deterioration. And they estimate that this model is saving 800 lives per year. So that's more than 1,000 lives per year saved by AI. This is all according, of course, to UC Health. And Lynn says that this can be a lesson for other hospitals that uh, are looking to try to implement these systems. When you go around the country, you, re you read the news articles, well, sepsis, or, sepsis tool doesn't do much in so-and-so hospital, or this one flamed out as well. It, you're just talking about the tool. And what you don't see is the iceberg under the water, which is, did you reinvent the way you care for patients? Did you re take the team apart and put it back together in an effective way? And we feel like that's, that's, the, that's the secret sauce. Thanks for listening to the podcast this week. If you'd like to watch our entire panel on AI and healthcare, you can do so at coloradosun.com slash sunfest. And if you like what we do and you're not already a member or you want to hear more of Mike and, and my own reporting in our temperature newsletter, you can head to coloradosun.com slash join to learn more about becoming a member. We've got a lot of big things ahead. I'm sure you've heard we're converting to a nonprofit this year. So uh, I really do hope you'll join us on this journey in support of local news. And thanks, everybody, for listening. I'll see you back here next week. You can read more at coloradosun.com. Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. Former Mesa County Clerk Tina Peters is asking a federal judge to bar state and federal authorities from prosecuting her in an alleged security breach of her county's election system in 2021. In a 43-page lawsuit filed Tuesday, Peters claims that continued investigations focusing on her violate her constitutional rights to free speech, freedom of association, and right to petition the government to redress her grievances. The maneuver comes as Peters is scheduled to go to trial February 7th in Mesa County on 10 counts. She is facing felony and misdemeanor charges, including attempting to influence a public official and criminal impersonation. Support for Proposition HH began eroding the moment the Colorado Property Tax Relief Plan was announced, the Colorado Sun found in reviewing its decisive failure.
Governor Jared Polis announced his proposal in May, flanked by Democrats and Republicans in a show of bipartisan support. But many of those present had doubts about the complex policy or didn't understand how it worked. Voters rejected it by an 18-point margin. The governor later ordered the state legislature to hold a special session aimed at finding an alternate plan for property tax relief. That session begins Friday. A state commission that sets water quality standards in Colorado is declining to wade into a debate over murky water marring the beauty of Grand Lake. The Colorado Water Quality Control Commission said it will instead continue to monitor concerns about the popular tourist destination as federal and state authorities pursue ways to restore water clarity. The lake on the western edge of Rocky Mountain National Park has been a prime jewel in Colorado's scenic landscapes since the late 1800s. But its famously clear water turns cloudy every year during tourist season, churned up by pumping associated with the Colorado Big Thompson Project, which sends water to the Front Range. For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. The Colorado Sun is nonpartisan and completely independent. We're always dedicated to telling the in-depth stories we need today more than ever. And the Sun is supported by readers and listeners like you. Right now, you can head to coloradosun.com and become a member, starting at $5 per month for a basic membership, and if you bump it up to $20 per month, you'll get access to our exclusive politics and outdoors newsletters. Thanks for starting your morning with us, and don't forget to tune in again tomorrow.